it says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. You see, praise the Lord, praise his name. And hey, here's one reason we should praise him is because he does whatever he pleases. He does um, whatever, whatever he, he desires. And now if it was any other person, right? Like if it was any other person that says, hey, I do what I want, right? Like I do what I please. You'd be like, um, man, there's something wrong with you, right? Like you got a, you have some kind of like character malfunction. But when you have the God of the universe, the God from whom all things derive, the God from whom all good things and all blessings flow, the God who holds the keys and the plan and this, the wisdom to execute redempt, redemption for fallen humanity, when that God says he does what he pleases, when a God who is perfect in his goodness, ultimate in his beauty, when he does all that he pleases, that's a good thing, Right? Like that's a God worthy of our worship. You see, this concept, the sovereignty of God, that he accomplishes whatever his goodwill desires, it's a good thing. That's good news for us. And that concept, the sovereignty of God, actually ripples all throughout the book of Nehemiah. It's a story. This, Nehemiah is the story about how God's the one who restores. He's the one who reforms. He's the one who revives. He's the one who renews. You see, God is always the hero in every Bible story. He's the sovereign one. He's the ruling one. He's the hero in every Bible story. But we tend to miss that when we read the Bible. It's easy for us to exalt the people in the stories of the Bible and just kind of forget like God's the act, the act that like the main actor in that in that story. He's the author in the story. We tend to focus on the characters. And not the author. We love to talk about how Noah was like this faithful dude, right? Or like David was the guy who slayed the giant when he was just a little kid. Or how Nehemiah was just this fantastic leader. But we do ourselves, we do our church, we do our kids a great disservice when we do that. Because we miss the whole point. You see, there, every, every character in the Bible... Every human character in the Bible, except for Jesus Christ, is always less than perfect. The Bible actually loves to make that point. Loves to make that point. Noah's story ended when he was just like a complete drunkard. Like David was an adulterer and a murderer. Like the Bible loves to make that point. Look at, look at the 12 disciples that Jesus chose to start his church. If you actually like read the scriptures, like they're a hot mess. Right? The Bible's almost determined to make the point that every human character in every Bible story is less than perfect. And see, the big point is that God alone is always the hero. He uses us as instruments, imperfect instruments, but imperfect instruments in the hand of a perfect God can do a whole lot of good. See, the point is that God is always the hero. The big idea is that behind all these stories is the hand of God. And so we should be more enthralled. We should be more enamored by the author than the, the character. 
by the creator than the creature. And so what I want us to see is that uh, this hidden, the hidden and sovereign hand of God is woven throughout the story of Nehemiah. So we're going to look at three ways that we see the sovereignty of God uh, at work here. And we'll just go ahead and start with the first one. That's the sovereignty of God uh, over our place of service. God is sovereign over our place of service. In other words, like God is sovereign over where, where, wherever it is that he's placed us to serve him. Right? Like, look at, look at uh, uh, the, the last verse of chapter 1. We read it last time. We're going to revisit it this morning. At the end of that verse, it says, uh, Nehemiah says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. That's who Nehemiah was. He was cupbearer to the king. That's his job. He's a royal cupbearer, which probably doesn't sound too impressive, right? You're thinking like cupbearer, like one who bears cups? Like, yes, but no, right? Like, it's actually a pretty crazy job being a cupbearer to the king. It's like the most dangerous job on the Secret Service detail, right? Like, like here's, here's how it works. Like, if you're a cupbearer, if you're a cupbearer, you're basically a foreigner who's working for the king. And back then, what kings did... All that kings did is they just conquered, right? That's, that's all. There, there wasn't much else for kings to do back then other than just to conquer as many lands as they could, expand their kingdoms. And so for that reason, like, everyone wants to kill the king, right? Insiders, outsiders, everybody um, wants to kill the king. And so a common way that you would kill a king is, you know, like kind of in some Shakespearean tragedy, like you would maybe like drip a little bit of poison, slip some poison into his wine. And, and so the king would, what he would do is he would hire somebody, a cupbearer, some brave young soul to basically drink the wine before he tasted it. And if the wine was poisoned, you would know him because the guy would die, right? And then you'd know not to drink it, right? It'd be kind of like a dead get giveaway, like literally a dead giveaway, right? Like that's how it worked. And so Nehemiah's got this really important job. He's got a very important job. And being the royal cupbearer, that meant he was not only in charge of the king's wine stash, like he was also the last line of defense for the king. You see, the cupbearer was the protective screen between the king and the rest of the world. It was a position of absolute trust from the king. And so since the king's life is contingent upon Nehemiah doing his job, like he has extreme close proximity to the king. Nehemiah has extremely close proximity to the king. He was the one guy. The king was the one guy who was standing between the broken walls of Jerusalem and their future completion. This, see, the, 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 the people of God had tried to, to rebuild the walls 20 years earlier, but this king was the one who, like, he kind of got afraid. He's like, hey, look, if they rebuild these walls, then their people will be strengthened, and they might kind of overthrow my power, my reach in this region. And so the king had, 20 years earlier, kind of put a decree out, an edict that said, hey, stop building that wall. And so now here you got Nehemiah. He happens to be from that tribe. He happens to be from the people of God. God's given him a burden to rebuild that wall. And he happens to have the, like, the, the close proximity uh, and the complete trust of the king who's standing in the way of that project. Now, how did Nehemiah get to this point? How did he get to this point? The answer 
is the sovereign hand of God. The hidden sovereign hand of God. You see, verse 8 in, in chapter 2 and many other times in this book, we'll see it again and again. Nehemiah, when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, look, the way he got to this point, the way he got to this position, this place of service, he says, the hand of God was upon me. The hand of God, the sovereign hand of God was upon me. And see, there's a simple lesson to be, to be learned here in that. You see, Nehemiah knew that the sovereign God of the universe was actually like silently working behind the scenes. Nehemiah knew that the sovereign God of the universe was, was silently working behind the scenes to get him to this place in time, this moment in history, with this position before the king. Now see, for many of us, whether you're in business or school, in ministry or, or, or at home, whether wherever it is that you find yourself, even just like at church this morning, right? Like wherever it is that you find yourself, you're not where you are by accident. There are no accidents in God's universe. The place of service that you're in, the street that you live on, the neighbors God has placed around you, the moment of time that you're born in, none of it is by accident. And so it's no accident that you're sitting in the seat that you're in right now. It's no accident that you're hearing this sermon, that you have Nehemiah chapter 2 opened up in front of you. And if you're on our launch team, then it's no accident that you're part of this new church family. God uses all kinds of people. He uses all of his people. Just like, the Nehemiah, just like Nehemiah said, the hand of God was upon me. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say the same thing this morning. You can say the hand of God is upon me to bring me to this place where I'm at today. You see, we have a tendency to think that God only uses the guy that's behind the pulpit or the guy that's up on the stage who's up in front or behind the guitar or the lady who's serving and leading that ministry. But if you belong to Jesus, if you're following him, then the Bible would say that we all have a ministry, that we all play a role, that we all have value. You've probably heard me, like if you've been here for some time, you've probably heard me say, you'll hear me say again and again and again, like the most important thing about me is not that I'm a pastor, it's not that I'm a church planner, it's not even that I have a beautiful family, which like if you've seen my family, like I obviously do, right? Like, but those are not the most important things about me. Like the most important thing about me is that I'm a son of the living God. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then that's also the most important thing about you. That you're a son or a daughter of the living God. And so if the most important thing about me is also the most important and valuable thing about you, that kind of evens the playing field, right? We all have a role in God's sovereign plan. There's no one that's more valuable or more important than the other. Just because I have a microphone, like, Attached to my shirt like doesn't mean that I'm, I'm any more valuable a servant to the sovereign king. God uses all his people. 
So if you belong to Jesus, the Bible would say that you have a ministry too. Your ministry in Colin is not any less significant or important or, or valuable than, than the next guy. You see, under the new covenant of Jesus, it says that we're actually all ministers. We're all royal priests. We're all a chosen race. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 with me. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says, uh, Peter says, you are a chosen race. He's speaking to the church here. He says, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession, that you all may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If that's you this morning, if God has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, then then your job, your calling, your ministry is to know Jesus and to make him known. And we all have different ways and manners in which we do that. And no one person is more important than the other. But like that's, that's what we're all here to do is to know God and make him known. And so what I'll tell you is that in your place of business, in your community, in your, in your school, at, in your home, with your family, whatever it is your place of service that God has placed you in, God has given you a calling where you're at. And he will use you for his purposes. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He was a foreign slave, cupbearer to the king. His job was to not die, right? Like, he had a, he's just an ordinary guy, but he was called to an extraordinary work. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like that's true of you too. Like we're all ordinary people that are called to an extraordinary work. And see, Nehemiah was humble enough to just serve God where he was. To serve God where he was with the messy opportunities God has placed him in. And in humility, he knew that God placed him in this his specific place of service. And from there, he looked for opportunities to bring glory to God and, 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 and to serve. So that's our first point, that's sovereignty of God over our place of service. The second one is the sovereignty of God over our prayers. Look at, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1 with me. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine, when wine was before him, uh, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So Nehemiah is speaking here. And, and what we see is that, that Nehemiah, like, like if you remember in chapter 1 earlier, like in chapter 1 a few weeks ago, we saw that Nehemiah, when he got the news about the walls being burned down, like it says that it was in the month of Kislev, right? In the month of Kislev. And it says that he prayed immediately. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And here at chapter 2, verse 1, it says it's the month of Nisan. Now you're probably like, I have no idea what that means, Right? But if you put their calendar parallel to our calendar, what we see is that's about three to four months of time. And so what that tells us is that Nehemiah has been praying and pleading and patiently waiting on God for four months. For four months. And what this shows us is that when you pray, even when you're praying in God's will, which is what Nehemiah was doing, when you pray, you may be called to just persevere patiently in prayer. God may be calling you to persevere patiently in prayer. You may need to wait on God's timing, but still 
praying. You see, when Nehemiah, what, what Nehemiah prayed for, it didn't happen right away, as we see in this book. But it did happen. In God's timing, it did happen. And so and some of us are, are we're, we're like praying for things that could legitimately be in line with God's desires for us, with God's will for our lives. We pray for things like we pray for for marriage, for family, for relationships, for a job, for a home, for a ministry calling, right? Uh, and sometimes like what we desire, these are things that we desire, but we're just not seeing it. We're not experiencing it. And we're just patiently waiting. And it may seem like you're praying and God's not answering. You're like, what, did I dial the wrong number? Is he listening? Like, does he care? God knows what I want, right? Like if he's a sovereign God, if he's the one who knows all things, he should know what I want. And if he truly cares, then he knows what I long for. He knows that it's eating me up, that it's breaking my heart. He should know that. And if God really cares, then he just, he should just know he will care and he'll just do it for me. He'll just, he'll just give it for me, to me, right? You might be tempted, like when you're feeling like that, to sort of just throw in the towel and just say like, look, what is the point? What is the point of prayer? Or it might not be. It might not be God's plan, but even if it is God's plan, it might not be his timing. And God may want to do something in you through those prayers. He may want to do something beautiful in you through those prayers that he otherwise might might not be able to do without your, your posture of, of prayer. See, I want you to see something. Turn with me to, if you have your Bible, to, to Matthew chapter 6, where you can look up at the screen. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we've got verse 8 and verse 9. Jesus is introducing the Lord's Prayer. You may have heard of it, right? It starts with, Our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus is introducing the Lord's Prayer, and he says in verse 8, he says, Look, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So he knows our needs already. God knows our needs. We've established that, right? He's the sovereign one. Of course he knows our needs. He's not surprised by them. But check it out. Even still in verse 9, he commands them. He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Look, God knows your needs, but here's how you pray. Right? And so we're commanded to pray regardless of the fact that God knows what we need. He knows what we desire. He knows what He wants to do. He still commands us to pray. And that should be enough reason to pray, right? Like if the sovereign God of the universe commands us to pray, then we should pray. But if the God who made us desires this from us, then yeah, like we should, we should pray. But, but God isn't just a sovereign Lord. He's also a sovereign father. He's a loving father. And because we know that, because we know that his love, his fatherly love for his children is just unparalleled, it's unparalleled, then we know that each of God's commands is designed for more than just being like some random arbitrary rule, right? God's commands are for our good. They show his character. They bring glory to him and they bring joy to us. He's a loving father. And so he'll never ask us to do anything that's, that's not ultimately for our good. And so prayer is not arbitrary. It's actually for our good. God desires to do something in us and through us when we pray. And see, when we pray, we acknowledge the reality that 
and the beauty of both God's grace and his power. When we pray, we acknowledge the beauty of his grace and his power. The fact that he is gracious and kind enough to to listen to our prayers. Like, we aren't a bother to him. We're not a nuisance to him. But he's also powerful enough to do something about it. He's powerful enough to do something in in us. You see, some years back before, before I knew that God was calling us to plant this church, like I'm used to meet regularly with the, this group of pastors in the area, and we'd pray like at different churches, and we just prayed for revival to break out in our community. This is a small group of pastors that were committed to both being, you know, like this, our, our group, we were, we were the, what defined us is we were committed to the historic teachings of the Bible being centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also being engaged on mission to make disciples, knowing God, like we said earlier, and making him known. And we knew that most churches in the area were, were either shrinking or dying or unfaithful or all of the above. And so we prayed. And I, and I knew that one of the ways that Jesus makes disciples and reforms his church is through a healthy, spirit-empowered movement of church planting. And so I actually started to pray back then, like, God, would you please send a church planter to South Orange County? Would you send a church planter to Rancho Santa Margarita to plant a church like that? To plant a church like the churches that my buddies are pastoring? It's like, be careful what you pray for, Right? <laughs> You see, through those prayers, God did something in me. He did something in my wife, Alyssa. He did something in us. He gave me a heightened awareness through those prayers of how many of my neighbors didn't know Jesus, didn't follow him, didn't worship him as God. You see, through those prayers, the Spirit of God gave me this increased burden for the lost. He stirred my heart for reform in the church and revival in the community, all for the fame of Jesus' name. Right? Like God did something in, 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 in me through those prayers. He did something in me that would put me on this trajectory to, to, to where we're planning this church together with this team. And so prayer is good for us. It, it is for our good, and it does something in us. It creates intimacy with God. It reinforces our dependency on Him, our need for grace. And it leads to a heart that's just at peace with God. It leads to a soul that worships Him unhindered unadulterated, and it aligns our will with his. That's why we're commanded to pray. And so, you see, Nehemiah has been praying for four months, and the rest of verse 1, it says, uh, read it with me, it says, Now I had not been sad in his presence. He says, I had not been sad in the king's presence. You see, that's because the way things worked back then is like when you go before the king, you kind of put on a smile. Right? You put on a happy face. You fake it if you have to, because if you were sad in front of the king, it said something. It made a statement about his leadership. It said you weren't grateful for the job that you were given. Right? You weren't grateful to be by his side. And so that's, <coughs> that's why Nehemiah says, I've not been sad in the king's presence. But verse 2, the king, it's, Nehemiah says, the king said to me, why is your face sad? 
seeing that you're not sick. This is nothing he's perceiving. He's like, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then me and Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid. See, Nehemiah's like, uh-oh, he's on to me. <laughs> he's on to me. He's, and Nehemiah's probably just stressed out of his mind. Right? He's probably going bonkers right now. He's, he's taking this huge risk here, approaching the king. Right? He's taking a huge risk here. And it's true, like taking a stand, taking responsibility, leading others, serving, raising money, resources, and people, that can be a stressful thing. That can be a fearful thing. And so verse 3, look at it with me. In verse 3, it says, Nehemiah says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. He responds and he says, let the king live forever. It's a pretty smart place to start if you think about it. He's like, hey, look, king, it's not you, it's me, right? Like, he says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And it says, he says, the king said to me, what what are you requesting? And it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah's been praying for four months, and here he prays again. Here, he's stressed out of his mind. He's fearful. He's sad. He's got this burden. He's taking a huge risk here by approaching the king. He's going to ask him to reverse his decree, right? And it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Here he prays again. You see, there's really two different kinds of prayer. When, what we see in this text. There's like intentional, sit down, on your knees, praying to God for long amounts of time, but there's also just kind of spontaneous prayer, right? There's spontaneous prayer in the moment. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's praying without ceasing. Pray, then pray again, and then again, and then again. You see, being spiritually mature never... Doesn't, it just doesn't erase your need for prayerful dependence. Like one of the things we say here a lot is like we never graduate beyond our need for God's grace. We never move on. We've never arrived at this point where we no longer need his, his power at work in us, his grace at work in us. And so he prays. He knows that God is sovereign over his prayers. And this leads us into our last point. We see the sovereignty of God also over our plans, over the plans that we make. Read verse 5 through 9 with me. Nehemiah says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. <clears throat> really quick, like, isn't that wild? Like, like God's answering the prayer. In this verse, we see God is beginning to answer, Nehemiah, to answer Nehemiah's prayers like the prayer worked. God is sovereign. He's in control. His sovereignty works in tandem with our prayers. You see, the purposes of God will not be thwarted. He'll accomplish all that he wills and desires. The king even asked him, how long will this take? The king's like, all right, like how long is it going to take? And we don't see it here, but in chapter 5, later on, what we'll see, what we'll find out is that Nehemiah, he, he basically took 12 years off. 
It took 12 years off. So here's Nehemiah. He just asked his boss to change foreign policy, act for a load of resources and people, and for 12 years off. Like, you need to pray to get a yes, right? Look at verse 7. He says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. You see, right there, Nehemiah knew that that his enemies, that God's enemies, will never allow him to pass through the area that they govern. And so these letters were basically like his passport. You see, Nehemiah's thinking ahead. He's, he's, he's planning. In verse 8, uh, he says, And a letter, send also a letter to Asaph, uh, the, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. That's where that verse is. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the the king's letters, gave them my passport, and now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. So here's a good question for us when we read this passage, these few verses. How did Nehemiah know? How did he know what he needed for the job? How did he know what he needed for the job. He has this holy ambition in front of him, right? Like, how did he know what he needed for the job? What's Nehemiah's job again? He's the cupbearer, right? The one who bears cups. His job is to drink wine and to not die. He's a cupbearer. And he knew, in, this, in these few verses, we see that he knew he needed passports, he needed resources, he needed people, he needed an army, and he needed 12 years off. How did he know that? How did he know that? He did his homework. He did his homework. You see, the sovereignty of God is not an excuse for inaction. The sovereignty of God, as beautiful as it is, sometimes we kind of like pervert it and use it as an excuse to basically like not do work, to not do anything. The sovereignty of God is not an excuse for inaction. Faith in God is not an excuse to not work. It's not a license to abdicate your own responsibility. You see, some of us, we want to make what we want things that we don't have. Like we want to make more money. We want a decent job. We want to settle down with the right person. We want to serve in church ministry. We want to share the gospel with our neighbors or our family, right? Like you want, you want to make a dent in this world, right? Like that's kind of the millennial generation like mantra, right? Which a lot of us in this room are, are, are a part of. The millennial generation is all about, like, give your life to this passionate cause, but you won't sit down to actually, like, pray or make a plan. And as soon as the king asked Nehemiah, what's the plan? What's it going to take? Look, he doesn't just say, hey, you know what, king? Don't worry. Like, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. Now, will God provide? Absolutely. But one of the ways that God provides is through Nehemiah being faithful with the resources, with the talents, with the gifts that God has given him. You see, he doesn't just say God will provide. He actually unrolls the blueprints, right? You can almost see it in your mind. He unrolls the blueprints because he didn't spend four months only praying. He was making a plan. Imagine if Nehemiah like got stopped at the border, right? Like when he's crossing like the province or the region with his, with, uh, like that his enemies occupied. Imagine if Nehemiah got stopped at the border of the region and they said like, hey, excuse me, sir. Like, what's all this wood? What's all, the, all these people? What, what are you trying to do here? Like, what, what's your business here? And imagine that Nehemiah says to them, hey, you know, 
what I'm doing is I'm actually just traveling by faith in God back to Jerusalem to do some work. And they're like, hey, great, that sounds great, but like, where's your passport? And, he's, and if Nehemiah said, like, oh, look, like, I, I don't have that. You see, like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling with faith in my God back to Jerusalem. Like, he's not going to get very far, right? He's not going to get very far. You see, their sovereign God uses means to accomplish his ends. And it's actually more beautiful that way, right? It's actually more beautiful that God, he's going to do whatever he wills, but it's more beautiful that the sovereign God actually invites us to participate in his sovereign will. That he invites us to be prayerful. That he invites us to prepare. That he invites us to be intentional with the resources that, that God has given us. With the talents, with the gifts, with the opportunities and the people that God has placed around us. Part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus is praying, God, what would you have me do with what you've given me? What would you have me do with the opportunities that you've given me, with these, with these resources, with the money, with the, with the relationships, with the opportunities that you've given me? You see, the sovereign God, he uses ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary works. And that doesn't make him any less involved. That doesn't make him any less sovereign. God is sovereign over our, our place of service, over our prayers, and over our plans. You see, Nehemiah trusts God to change the heart of, his, of the king. He trusted God to change the heart of the king. But he himself, he still came prepared. In the English Civil War, the soldiers, um, Oliver Cromwell, he was leading them. He was a, he was a Christian like officer in, in the English Civil War, and he had, this, he had this motto for them. He said, the motto was, look, put your trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. <laughs> keep your trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. You see, knowing, acknowledging the sovereignty of, of God, like, like, we need to know and acknowledge that the sovereignty of God is a beautiful thing. It's this weighty thing. It's this massive doctrine, but it's not a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's not a substitute for preparation. It's not a substitute for planning. We pray and we prepare. We pray and we plan. God's not a genie who perform, performs for you. He's a Lord that we serve and a father that we speak to, a spirit that changes us. You see, eventually in chapter 5, we see that Nehemiah actually becomes governor over Judea. He becomes governor over Judea, and Artaxerxes, the king, he actually pays for the whole project. He pays for the whole project of, of, of rebuilding the wall. He provides armies. He provides resources. He gives Nehemiah this massive pay grade and promotion. And who does Nehemiah give credit to? Again, in verse 8, he says, The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. See, Nehemiah didn't not ask. He still asked. He knew what to ask for. But he knew that at the end of the day, the good hand of his God was upon him. You see, Nehemiah's call back to go to Jerusalem, and his task in front of him was to build the walls that fortified the city of God so that God's people can once again have a place to worship, 
right? And Jerusalem like might seem like a small city, but especially like back then, like it's this is where God's people lived together. This is where they gathered to pray. This is where they studied the scriptures, where they worshipped, and where they could just be the people of God. And so the task in front of Nehemiah is not unlike the task that's in front of us. And if you're on our launch team, if you're joining us, like you've probably heard us say that, you know, like we too, like we're also a crew of ordinary people. That's all that we are. But we're ordinary people called by God to an extraordinary work, called to building his church and making disciples through the mission of church planting. And just like God had a mission for them in their location back then, he has a mission for us in ours. Just like they were to be a light to a dark and lost world, so we are to be what Jesus calls salt and light. We're to be like a city on a hill, putting on display what it looks like to be loved and known by God. And that's our goal. Like, that's always our goal. That's always our mission. That's always our passion, is to make Jesus known. That's always going to be it. And by the grace of God, we'll spread the fame of his name. You see, just like we see God's sovereignty at work in the life of Nehemiah, just like we see God's work at, at work in the life of Nehemiah, we also see it at work in our lives. And we also see it at work in the life of Jesus. Jesus was the greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls of God's city, Jerusalem, stone by stone, but Jesus came to save his elect, a holy nation. He says that he's building us up stone by stone. He says we're living stones. The church is like living stones that that Jesus is, is building. And so we see God's sovereignty in the most beautiful and profound way at work in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel of Jesus, we see God's sovereignty on full display in the most beautiful and loving way. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We'll close by reading this passage in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come. In other words, at God's sovereignly appointed time in history. Like there was no accident here. Like God is the sovereign one at work in this. When the fullness of time had come, when it was time, according to God's goodwill and purpose, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Praise God for his sovereign hand at work. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening. 